2: New York Shore feels like we're in the middle of a COVID surge today. Experts blame the highly contagious Omicron variant that first showed up here a few weeks ago. What is this thing?
3: That thing, uh, that's just a centrifuge. So it spins the samples uh, while they're in the uh, plate. So it keeps the samples in the bottom of each well.
2: This week on 880 In-Depth, meet the COVID detectives whose work is critical to keeping us informed and protected.
3: With the current surge that's happening right now, we're seeing uh, through our diagnostics lab at least a 20% or so spike in number of tests that we're running. So we're running over 25,000 tests a day through that lab.
2: And while Omicron has increased the stress level everywhere, take comfort in the words of the man who runs the largest healthcare care organization in New York State.
4: It is not as bad as people think. So if we can get through January, which we will, I think we'll be in a relatively better shape.
2: Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Scheldt. Michael Dowling runs Northwell Health, the state's largest healthcare organization and New York State's largest employer. Here's what he told us this week about COVID
4: into 22. I think when we get in the in the spring, I think it's going to get better. It doesn't mean it'll go away completely. I don't think it'll ever go away completely.
2: You will most definitely want to hear the rest of this conversation with Michael Dowling and it is coming up. But first, Dowling will be the first person to tell you to believe in science. And boy, did we get a science lesson when we visited the Office of Pandemic Response Lab. In Long Island City, Queens, you think Amazon is busy this Christmas season?
3: Yeah, so uh, with the current surge that's happening right now, we're seeing uh, through our diagnostics lab at least a 20% or so spike in number of tests that we're running. So we're running over 25,000 tests a day through that lab.
2: John Laurent is the director of research and development for Pandemic Response Lab. John spent time with our Peter Haskell this week to help explain just what this process of sequencing is all about and why it's so important.
3: So the sequencing itself is is technology that's existed before. We use uh, standard Illumina uh, sequencing technology. Some of the uh, pre-processing for for our samples that we do is novel uh, and proprietary that we've developed here. And that enables us to really reduce the cost and, and speed up the process uh, of that that sequencing
5: so just explain if you could you don't test it if it's positive or negative what do you do
3: yeah not at this lab so our our diagnostics lab uh down the street is where we are processing uh testing tests themselves and determining whether they're positive or negative uh, samples that are positive in that lab uh, are collected and sent here to the sequencing lab and so here we know we are getting positive specimens um so we know they have the virus in them and then we are uh reading out the genome sequence of every sample or attempting to read out the genome sequence of every sample that comes in uh every positive so that we can assign a variant identification to it or look for new variants to appear so uh this is where we're identifying things like delta and the the new omicron variant.
5: How long does it take to sequence?
3: So the once it's in our lab our sequencing lab uh the process is about three to five days Um, most of the specimens that come into our lab from the diagnostics lab take uh anywhere from another three to a week uh to get here based on just based on normal lab operations and so the the turnaround time for for a sequence that gets t- or a test that gets uh diagnosed in our testing lab and then sent here in sequence is you know five to ten days
5: so it sounds like by the time you've determined that there's a. Uh a surge of Delta or Omicron or whatever the next variant is, it's already circulating.
3: Yes, that's correct. So there is a, there is a lag time that um, is just a fundamental technological lag, essentially. We do have a specific service, uh, actually, that we are, um, where we are sequencing samples that are tested at other labs um, that are sent directly to us. And that actually, we call it our stat sequencing line. Um, and those sequences are turned around in about three days uh, from receipt, and so that's kind of a a little bit less lag time, and so it's a a more real-time indicator for us. But it's a smaller subset of the samples that we're doing.
2: By the way, you may have heard John Laurent tell us in the show's open that his operation has found Omicron in 10% of the positive samples they sequenced last week. Well, we checked back this week to see how they did, and that number is now up to 50%. Omicron has been identified as the variant in 50% of the positive cases that this lab has sequenced this week.
3: We are seeing, uh, I think yesterday, we had over 9% positive. And so we're seeing several thousand uh, positive samples a day through that lab, and they're all being sent here and sequenced. so we are uh, working to keep up with that demand. Um, our current capacity through this lab for sequencing is somewhere north of 5,000 sequences per week. Um, so we're not gonna be able to sequence everything, uh, every positive that's coming through the lab this week, uh, but uh, we're gonna do our best uh, and, and try to hit those numbers.
5: But up in, up until this point, were you sequencing virtually every positive case? Yes, yeah.
3: So, Prior to this spike, we were attempting to sequence essentially every positive that came through the lab, um, and we were doing, you know, 10 to 15, uh, sometimes up to 20,000 a day for the last few months, uh, but at low positivity rates, and so we were having a uh, much more manageable sequencing demand, um, and we were able to attempt, you know, a couple thousand every week uh, and, and submit, usually getting uh, 1,000 to 2,000 every week through the
5: lab what's the significance of sequencing why is it so important to do
3: so the sequencing is really you know uh as we've seen uh multiple times now uh the SARS-CoV-2 virus is, is mutating um as it's spreading and those mutations have the potential for for uh giving the virus uh you know increased virulence increased transmissibility um And those those have the potential to overwhelm our our healthcare systems again, um, like like we saw in the beginning and and continue to see uh, at certain times. And so the surveillance is really a way in which we can identify those possible uh, those variants that are that have reason for concern uh, as early as possible. And it's not really also, uh, you know, one of the important aspects of that is. Not just identifying the first ones. So seeing Omicron for the first time is not really the important bit. It's tracking, continue to track the spread of a new variant uh, as it as it spreads through the population. So we can uh, start to make uh, start to do analysis on on its transmissibility, how fast it's spreading, uh, how it might be um, taking over other variants, et cetera. So you know we're seeing Omicron take over. Relatively quickly, um, since it's first it was first identified in in the U.S. and in this lab a couple of weeks ago, uh, and so we we're able to sort of start to make um, uh, make assumptions or, or make uh, uh, determinations about transmissibility and virulence and, and such. Positive specimens uh, in the testing lab are are collected. What we actually receive from the lab is extracted genomic material. Um, So it's extracted purified RNA uh, from the virus. Um, It's collected into plates that contain uh, approximately 384 samples each. Um, They come into the lab, um, they are RNA, so the genome of of COVID, uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is RNA we need to turn it into DNA to s- actually sequence it, and so the first step that we undergo here is is what's called reverse transcription, where we actually turn that, that RNA genome into DNA uh, material. So that's starting to happen here. Um, we also then, uh, the genome I- is quite long, and so the next step that we wanna do is, is break it into smaller pieces that we can then sequence uh, individually, and then assemble them up into the, the final uh, full genome. So. Uh, that process uh, is not happening here right now, but but that's the next step in the process. Um, and it will be put on this, uh, this robot here. Uh, and again, this is all happening uh, 384 samples or so at a time.
5: Uh, Sounds complicated.
3: It is quite complicated, but we've turned it into a, a well-oiled machine, and the technicians we have working here are, are fantastic uh, and have really done... Amazing, amazing work uh, responding to surges and and demand.
2: And while we asked for this tour because we wanted to hear more about the impact of Omicron. Do you have to look for a new variant? How do you figure out this new variant? How does
5: that work?
3: Right, so uh, we are using some um, publicly available software uh, tools and analysis tools to identify specific variants that are already identified. Um, as being out there. So Omicron um, was discovered, you know, as a new variant comes, uh, starts to appear, it, it's, it will basically have, uh, if we use the, these analysis tools, um, it will essentially not be identified as a variant and it will be sort of a unique, uh, a unique genome, genomic signature that starts to overtake and that is caused, so that sort of triggers a, a more in-depth analysis uh, and identification of a specific variant lineage and then you know, uh, health authorities are, are notified from there and, and there's a determination made at some point, whether it's a variant of concern or variant of interest. Um, and so we are always monitoring our sequencing data uh, to look for the appearance of, of anything that's not already identified or identifiable as a current variant of concern.
5: So you hear about the latest Omicron data, do you say, holy cow, what are we up against?
3: Yeah, just like anybody else, it's, it's, it's a constant battle and we're going to keep fighting it here um, and uh, hope it doesn't continue for forever.
2: And remember, there are experts who believe that because Omicron is moving so quickly, that might actually signal it may be moving on.
6: to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast.
1: All-star closer Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time?
2: Our Peter Haskell got on the phone with Michael Dowling, president and CEO of Northwell Health. We began the conversation on the current state of COVID hospitalizations.
4: We have had an increase in hospitalizations, especially since Thanksgiving. And today we have about 480 COVID patients in our hospital. Uh, And that's among all of our hospitals. That's in total. that seems like a big number Um, but remember that this time last year uh, we had uh, over 900 COVID patients in our hospital and if you go back to um, uh, the beginning at the first wave we had 3,500 COVID patients in our hospital so we went from 3,500 down to you know last year a thousand a little bit less than a thousand and now we're down to 480 so while the positivity in the community is increasing it doesn't mean that all those positive cases end up in the hospital because the omicron um, virus seems to be weaker than delta so a lot of people are going to be positive uh, but they won't end up in the hospital and I think that looking at hospital numbers is very, very important. Uh, I think it is even more so important than just looking at the overall community positivity rate. Because the more positive rate, the more positive, the higher the positivity rate in the community, as long as people don't get very sick, and they may have a couple of days of discomfort, and they may have to quarantine, et cetera, it builds community uh, immunity. So... Uh, uh, we're, we're expanding, you know, we're building herd immunity in the community the more people are positive. Now, uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting that that should be the primary reason that um, that as a strategy that we move forward. But it is not as bad as people think. And the surge of Omicron, in my view, is going is to surge a lot over the next couple of weeks. And then my belief is in the end of January, middle, the end of January is going to decrease so if we can get through January, which we will, I think we'll be in a relatively better shape. Um, and so the, I think this is how people have to look at it. Um, the increase uh, uh, over the over holidays, uh, there will be an increase over the holidays. There will be an increase in hospitalizations as a result of Christmas. We're estimating that we may very well get up to eight or 900 COVID patients in our hospitals post-Christmas. But that's about where we were last year. And we can handle it. We got pretty capa we've got a lot of capacity. Um uh, we have plenty of supply and so um it's a little bit stressful of course for everybody, especially for the staff who've been in this now two years. But um if you stand back from it, um uh we will get and, and you look at it from afar a little bit and we will get through this. Um there's there's a need to be a little bit of calmness, less hysteria. Um, the media has to downplay or you know downplay a little bit and not always give the impression that we have a crisis on our hands, which I don't think we do.
5: You know, in terms of hospitalizations, you talk about having the capacity. I'm curious about staffing. Are you concerned about that? And I think one of the key points that we're seeing across businesses people get sick, they're out of action for a week or ten days. Right. Are you concerned about your folks going down and being on the sidelines? Well, you know,
4: you always you, know, you always are concerned about staff. Uh, staff is the one thing that is always the most problematic. Now, every, you know, I in, at Northwell, we're 100% uh, vaccinated, all my staff. Uh, and if you uh, want to work at Northwell, you have to be vaccinated. Now, that's not the case everywhere. And I believe that if you work in healthcare, vaccination is should be a requirement. I think it's the obligation we have. Now, even, even with that, uh, you do, you do get concerned about staff. We watch it very, very closely. And there's one other piece here that is very important that is making sure everybody gets the booster, not only employees, but also people in the community. You're not fully, fully vaccinated unless you get the booster along with the other shots that you got previously. So the booster is unbelievably important. And also one other fact here that's important, 80% of the people who are in our hospitals right now, 80% are unvaccinated. So if if everybody was vaccinated, I would have 80% potentially 80% less people in the hospital. So vaccination is important. And the booster is important, and obviously, um, um, you know, you are going to lose some staff. And uh, in a big system like in a big system like ours, we're able to manage this. Um, you know, we have relationships with agency staff on the outside. We move staff around the place from different locations to different locations. And so, while it is an ongoing concern, I think we will be able to handle it quite well. I- I'm not overly concerned about it.
5: Do you plan on requiring boosters for your staff.
4: Well, I, I did two communications uh today and one yesterday all to all staff basically saying the following. It is you are expected to get the booster. Um a lot of our staff already have, but I do have some that have. I said you're expected to get the staff. I encourage you to get, get the booster. I encourage you to get the booster. It is your responsibility. In the next week or two, if I find out that that's not happening, and it's not happening fast enough, then I may very well go to a mandate. I'm, and I'm not against a mandate, but I'm allowing a little bit of time for people to do this voluntarily for the, for the right reasons. But if I have to do a mandate, I will do a mandate.
2: And if you've grown tired of COVID and all that it brings, imagine working in the healthcare industry. We asked Michael Dowling if his staff was getting tired of it as well. Oh yes, I mean,
4: like um, uh, you know, in last year, you know, people were talking. Well, it'll it be, it be over in Christmas of 2020, and then people thought, well, it'll be over in April of 21, or it might be over in the fall of 21. Because yeah, people are saying, oh my God, when we can get, we can, when can we get out of this? Um, but uh, remember that in our in our overall system, uh, only 10 of our of our of our of the 10 of our uh, inpatients are, are COVID. So it's a relatively small percentage. But people are getting a little tired. People are hoping that it will be over with. But one other thing I want to clarify here: it's always going to be with us in some way. So you've gotta be thinking about the flu. The flu comes with us every year. So COVID will be like that in the future. We will have the virus and it will be a thing we'll deal with just like we deal with the flu all the time, which of course is another virus. And so it'll be in the background. It won't be in the foreground. And we're just gonna to have to be you know, resilient and be able to deal with it and say, okay, the COVID is never disappearing. We're gonna to have to take some kind of a pill or some kind of a, a booster every year It'll be it'll be like the flu shot, and we will live with it. Um, it's 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 central now to every discussion because every time you look at any media, it's all they talk about. Um, so, uh, but back to your question on the staff: yes, um, staff are getting a little tired. Um, they're hoping that uh, it it can recede into the background somewhat, not disappear all the time uh, altogether. And uh, you're going to have other surges potentially over the next couple of months omicron we will will, will 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 go by the wayside to some extent and then there is the potential of something having something else happen so we just got to live with it when you're in healthcare that's what you do you deal with it you move on um, uh, that's what healthcare workers do all the time and um, uh, if people behave properly now over the uh, over the Christmas season, they reduce the numbers of people that they have, less crowds, wear the mask, get the booster, et cetera, et cetera. Then, cetera. Um, uh, and, and then, of course, if we could get the people who are unvaccinated to get vaccinated, we'd be in a much better situation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, the people who are unvaccinated are putting the rest of the people in greater danger, and it's unfortunate. Um So, but it is what it is. And uh, we we have to, to an extent, live with it and uh, do the best we possibly can. But at the end of the day, the virus is not going to beat us.
5: So you talk about the the unvaccinated. You've got people who have had two shots and they're still getting infected. Does that hurt the message to the folks who say, I don't want this shot, I'm not going to get it?
4: Well, that's an excuse that I've heard said that if you get vaccinated, you're automatically 100% guaranteed against getting the virus, uh, but you're not going to be a sick. And in all likelihood, you're not going to end up in the hospital, just like the flu shot. just be, If you get the flu shot, it doesn't mean you won't necessarily get the flu, but you know, not likely. You won't be a sick. So if you're unvaccinated and you get COVID, the likelihood of you being in the hospital is greater. So why not do the rational, logical thing and say, I'm going to take the, uh, the, vi- the, the vaccine so that I can reduce the degree of illness that I might have if I get it. That doesn't mean you're guaranteed against it completely, but you will be better off. And you will obviously, it's not just about you. This is something that people who are not vaccinated understand, it's not just about you. Uh, It's about your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and your families, the danger you're putting everybody else in. Uh, So the, the severity of the illness and all likelihood will be greater if you're not vaccinated. So why take that risk? And it's very evident given who's in our hospital right now. 80% of them are unvaccinated. Is that what you want to be? One of those statistics, you should not be. Uh, so I, I think it's just an excuse that doesn't, uh, doesn't hold water.
5: Health care professionals haven't been screaming about this for a year since the vaccine came out. Right. If, if someone's not vaccinated now, can you reach them? And how do you reach them?
4: i don't think ever reach um uh, but you know slowly that are some people do convert so i think you just keep the education on keep focusing on its importance keep focused on their obligation to people around them that their own their own decisions is affecting people around them but you won't get to everybody you'll always have a component of the population who will be unvaccinated and that's unfortunate um and you'll have to live with that but i don't think that we give up on the process of education because if we can convert one other person every day it makes a positive difference um but you're right there are some who will never ever ever uh, change their minds just like similarly to in with other issues that we deal with uh, and especially when it comes to health and wellness and disease it's unfortunate uh, but that's the way life is
5: You talk about having to live with this. Uh, One of the big questions that public officials are dealing with now is about schools. Under what circumstances do you think schools should go remote, and should they consider that?
4: I think uh, with all of these, I think that we should seriously, um, uh, in my own personal view, is that we should do everything possible. To try to make sure that kids are able to go to school um, because I do think there's a real benefit to in-person, le- in-person learning. I don't believe remote learning compensates at all for the benefits of in-person learning. And this is where also I believe having your kids get vaccinated is important. Um, uh, the vaccine works, especially for kids over the age of five. Get your kids and your children vaccinated. If they have to wear a mask, wear a mask. It's not that inconvenient. Uh, I get frustrated when people say, "Oh my God, look how inconvenient it is." It isn't that inconvenient. You can deal with it. People have dealt with a lot worse in life than over history. You can, you know, you you can just suck it up for a period of time and do it. Uh, but I do. I strongly urge that if you that everything be done possibly, everything possible should be done to prevent. Uh, closure of the schools. Now, it may not be, um, may not be uh, uh, appropriate in every circumstance, and it may not be possible, but it should not be the first knee-jerk reaction would be to close the schools and have people go remote. I think it, there's a disadvantage to that.
2: So on to the question we ask all of our COVID experts that we get to speak with, what is the long-term outlook for COVID in our world?
4: I think that as you go into, uh, you know, the in, in, into 22, I think when we get in the in the spring, I think it's going to get better. It doesn't mean it'll go away completely. I don't think it'll ever go away completely. I think as we go into the summer and into the fall next year, I think that we will be, we'll have, uh, we, we we'll have, uh, you know, uh, either a pill. There are two pills now being produced by Merck and Pfizer. Uh, the, we will we'll know more about them in a couple of weeks. I think what will happen is you'll be taking a pill, probably on an annualized basis. You'll be getting a shot on an annualized basis. And in many ways, the virus will become like the flu. Um, you know, the COVID will become like the flu. You know, remember, you know, what is it? Uh, 40,000 people die from the flu every year. We don't go around all the time saying, oh, my God, flu, we have a flu. We just deal with it uh, we get the, we get the flu shot, uh, some of us get sick even after getting it, but it'll, it'll be it won't be front and center, it will be a little bit in the rear, and we will just learn how to deal with it like we do with everything else and I think that that we will be in that situation as we as we go into the fall of 2022.
5: So I guess the question that follows is how long do you think it's going to take? until we can drop the masks and the worry well uh, you know i don't you know i i I don't think we'll
4: ever completely drop the masks uh i think that many people have got used to using the masks and i think you'll find people more use more people using them even do the during the regular flu season uh so it is another uh you know piece of protection that when we feel it's appropriate to use, we'll use. I mean, I remember even way before COVID, I saw people in Manhattan during flu season walking around with a mask. Uh, There were not many of them, but there were some. I think you will see more of people doing that, you know, um, from now on. You know, again, it's another piece of the protection that we, you know, we may not have liked using it when we were having to use it. And I think it'll just become another part of our attire That some people will decide that they will wear when and if there is, uh, you know, any indication of either a flu or another virus. So it may not be mandated for everybody to use in certain circumstances, but I think people voluntarily will will be using the mask more and more.
5: Mike, thanks so much for your time. Is there anything else that you want to add? No, I
4: think that um, you know, pandemics go on for a long time, uh, and uh, there are. you know, people are wondering, when will it end? Um, we it's, it's outside our control. Uh, we just got to be somewhat flexible and adaptable and resilient uh, uh, and, and hang in there and do the right thing. And so I think attitude is very, very important here. Um, one is, uh, you know, have an attitude of optimism. And secondly, have an attitude that what we do personally affects our neighbors, our friends, and our family. So we do have an obligation. This sense of community is important now. And, um, uh, but we will, this will recede into the background and uh, we will look back on it and be able to say, yeah, we, we survived COVID. Uh, uh we won over COVID. Um, and, um, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people didn't make it, but, uh, um, uh, life will go on. And, uh, and I think we have to have that, uh, that, that, that positive attitude. Um, uh, you know, this system, this, this sometimes we have to avoid unnecessary hysteria. Um, you know, if you look back over history, people have suffered through a lot worse than what we've suffered through during the last two years. You've got to put everything in perspective.
5: Michael, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thank you, Peter.
2: Northwell Health's Michael Dowling with our Peter Haskell. 880 in Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Scheldt, are the executive producers. We're here every week. Subscribe to our podcast and you won't miss a session. Listen on your time. Find us wherever you get your audio. Just search for 880 in Depth. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Thank you for listening. And as always, please be safe.